Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever heard the phrase, don't just stand there, do something? You know what I love is when I write my sermon on Tuesdays and then I see something come out in the paper in the course of the week. This came out this morning. I don't know how many of you looked at the Island Packet, that wonderful paper. Um, But in the Wall Street Journal Sunday section, can you all read that? What does it say? Do something. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. You know, I've said this before and I'll say it again, and I absolutely love this saying. There are certain sayings I absolutely love. There are three kinds of people. Those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who stand around saying, what happened? Right? And a lot of times, as much as there are people who have this idea, don't just stand around, do something, It's because they themselves feel helpless. And they're saying something to the person next to them who must also feel helpless or frozen or doesn't know exactly what to do. They're immobilized. And yet there's this expectation, there's this desire that someone might do something. And yet there's almost a contrast in our culture as well. I don't know how many of you have heard people say, you know, we're not human doings, we're human beings. We're just called to be. You ever heard that one? We're just called to be. It's almost flipping on its head and saying, don't just do something, stand there. Right? And we become this human being that does little or nothing. In fact, many of you, when you came here this morning, you expected to come and just be. Do you realize that? You really don't want anybody bothering you or making demands of you. You just want to be. You just want to be in a worship service where the expectation is is that you're going to come and you're going to have lay readers and you're going to have acolytes and you're going to have people singing and playing instruments and you're going to have ushers and greeters and everything is going to be done for you, right? True? You're you're expecting to hear a good sermon. Well, I can't help, you know, you're going to get what you get. You're expecting it's going to be short. Forget it. But you know, we have certain expectations where when we go someplace that we're not going to have to do anything. Especially when it comes, actually, to the Christian faith. Many people think, I'm just a church member. Describing 
a being, not necessarily a doing. And I'm not saying at certain levels that we're not called to be, because we are called to be. But we're also called to do. When you really understand who God is, that He is first and foremost a person, a being, and we say God is love, that's describing His person. But then what does God do? That love leads Him to action, to create us, to send His Son. And Jesus came, what? To show us the life and to die for us so that we might have salvation. He came to do. Then when we talk about being a Christian, we're describing a being, a person. And yet at the same time, in order to be a Christian, we're supposed to respond to God's call. We're supposed to bear fruit. We're supposed to, as Nathan said last week, be his witnesses. You know, if you look at the gospel reading for today, Jesus, in his dialogue with his apostles in the upper room, and in particular, this particular scene with Philip, he's talking about knowing him. Philip. Don't you know me yet? Do you really not understand who I am? And why I came? And what I'm about? And who I'm revealing? And what I'm revealing the life to be? And he talks about his relationship with the Father. But then he goes on to say, You will do the works that I do. Not only will you do the works that I do, greater works than these. In other words, the implication is, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, which we heard about the promise last week when Nathan was talking about, you will be my witnesses when Jesus ascends to heaven. And in the upper room, right after the resurrection, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit which is a down payment, if you will, of what's coming. That in this context, Jesus says, I'm going to send you another advocate, a counselor, a comforter, one who is just like me to be with you, and he will fill you and empower you, and then you'll do what? You'll do works. You'll have gifts to share with other people. You'll bear fruit that, by the way, when you bear fruit, it's for other people. That's what fruit's about. That's the implication behind Jesus when he ascends, when he promises to send the Spirit, that something's going to happen to us. That when we experience the power of the gospel, we understand that Jesus came because we are sinners in need of a Savior. That we can't lead an effective life without his Lordship, and we can't follow his Lordship without the filling of the Holy Spirit and the transformation of our lives. That he went to the Father so he could send the Spirit. And it's the Spirit that leads us to that point of conviction and conversion. 
That's what he wants to do. That's what Pentecost is about. It opens that door. And that when we come to that personal knowledge, much like Philip, do you know me? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know why Jesus came? That personal knowledge of him being our Savior and our Lord, that's the Holy Spirit beginning to work in our hearts and lives, bringing us to that point of transformation. Then, the Pentecost, where we become Spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. When you're filled, what does that mean? Typically, that means if you're full, then you're overflowing. There's a lot there. That when Jesus said he was going to send the Spirit, which he did, he promised in the upper room after the resurrection, he promised in the upper room even before that, right now. That last 24 hours before he died. And the apostles are in the upper room. What are they doing? They're praying. They're also waiting on the Lord. See, there's this balance between waiting on Him and being in His presence and resting in Him and allowing Him to act. And once He does, then we respond. But it takes that filling to get to that place. And when we're filled, we're overwhelmed. We're just so full. How many Christians lack that fullness? And because of that, we're always wanting. And we don't serve and we don't give. Because we're lacking that filling, that fullness. But that's what he wants for us. That we would know that filling and know that fullness and we would overflow onto other people. You know, in fact, how did the apostles appear when they came out? Did you catch it? Everybody, if you, if you understand the stories that unfolds, everybody says, they're drunk. Now, now, I just want you to think about something. If someone is standing before you and they're doing nothing, you're really not going to know if they're drunk or not, right? It's when they open their mouth and they slur their words. So they speak. And it's when they walk around and they start staggering or bumping into things. That's when you're going to know they're drunk. So something tipped off the crowds that these people aren't acting normally. What was it? It was the Holy Spirit in them. When they came out, they spoke. And it wasn't what people expected to hear. And they were different people than what they were when they went into that upper room where they were fearful and cowering and wondering what they should do. They were clear. And then they would act with great power because of the Holy Spirit working in them and through them. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, understand you are basking, you are embraced by the Father's love. That's why you're overflowing. We talk about our culture and people so insecure, so wanting, so needy, wanting self-fulfillment. Guess what? When you're seeking self-fulfillment, you'll never get there. Because the self is a pit that's unending. It's when you're seeking being filled with the Holy Spirit that you learn that peace and that love and that contentment and that overflowing joy, which is what God wants for us. 
That's the filling of the Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, the next thing that happens is we become Spirit-led in our lives. That we begin to follow and sense what the Holy Spirit wants us to do next. The apostles knew right away. As soon as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, what they do? They went out and they started speaking because that's what the Holy Spirit wanted them to do. And we see this over and over again in the Word of God, by the way. When Jesus begins his public ministry and he's baptized, what do we see the description of what happens next? Do you remember? The Spirit descends on him as if a dove, right? And then what happens after that? Do you remember remember the story? He is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, right? He's led. Then Jesus in his life says, I only do what I see my Father do. I only speak what I hear my Father speak. He's led. And then the apostles from Pentecost on, you see over and over again. They are led. They are led to speak at different times. They're led to heal people at different times and show the power of God. Peter, one time when he's in prison, he's led out of prison. He doesn't even realize what's going on, but he's being led. Paul, at times, you'll hear Paul talk about, you'll read Paul talk about, that he was led to go to some places, not led to go to other places. That's what God wants to do with us. He wants to lead us. But Jesus says, again in the upper room, chapter 16, And the Spirit of truth will come upon you, and He will guide you. He will guide you. That means being led. See, if you don't want truth, you're not going to be led. If you're not open to the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of your own life, you're not going to be led. If you want to lead yourself, if you want to call the shots, you're not going to be led. We're led when we submit. We're led when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're led when we are willing to be convicted, converted, and guided. And it's God's truth that speaks to our hearts and to our lives that leads us. And we follow in His footsteps. And it comes by His truth alive in our hearts and lives. Jesus said, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's because of that truth that we find Him to be the way. The Holy Spirit, He will guide you into all truth. The truth that leads us in the way. And God wants to lead us and guide us because He loves us. And as we're being led, guess what's going to happen? We're going to be used. That God wants to use you as His witnesses to speak His word into other lives. God wants to use you to serve other people. God wants you to give so that he can use the resources that he's blessed you with to bless other lives. Over and over again, if you look at the scripture and bearing fruit and using the gifts of the Spirit, what it implies and what it points to is that we will be used by God. Used to touch other lives. Used to change the world. Used to expand the kingdom of God in this world. You know, it's amazing. Sometimes the word used has a negative connotation in the world. If you're in the world and someone uses you, that's usually negative connotation, right? 
But it's interesting because when you're used by the Spirit and you know it, it's completely different. You bless other people and you feel blessed in the process. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift. But we can do the same thing. That negatively, we can use the Spirit because people do it all the time. People say, well, you know, God's okay with me doing this. Really? And where did you get that idea? Not His Word, not His truth. See, we want to use the Holy Spirit that God says it's okay. Let me give you an example of that. First parish that I served 29 years ago. I was an assistant. And the rector's warden, the senior warden of the vestry for the congregation, comes to the rector and he says to him, the Holy Spirit told me to leave my wife and move in with another vestryman's wife. You can't make this stuff up. And I'm not kidding. That happened. See, sometimes it's convenient to blame God. To blame the Spirit. Instead of being filled with the Spirit and transformed by the truth of the Spirit. Transformed by the cross of Jesus Christ. Led by the Spirit. Led into truth through His Word. And then we're used by Him according to His will. That's the plan. That's the goal. That we are His instruments. We are His people. To be used by Him. To reach out to a suffering world. To touch lives that need healing. Touch lives that need His love and His grace. You know, we say God is love and that's true. But it's not just about His being. It's because he acts. And we are called to follow his lead into the world. Now, one thing that I want to say about that is that it doesn't always work out the way we want. Do you ever notice that? I mean, it just doesn't always work out the way we want. We have a plan. When we see God moving in our lives... We think it's supposed to happen one way, but it doesn't always happen that way. Because God's going to do what God wants to do. I'll give you an example. Nine or ten years ago, Bishop Salmon, the former bishop of our diocese, asked me if I would be the chair of the search committee for the new bishop. I was currently on the standing committee. So I thought... Let me pray about it. Let me see, because this is going to be quite a commitment. And it was. And it was a challenge. And I was really, really busy for that year. And I was exhausted at the end of the year. But through God's grace 
and God, fi- God figuring it out for us and helping us, he led us to Mark Lawrence as one of the finalists. Mark Lawrence was chosen by this diocese, and Mark Lawrence has been a blessing to us. And I thought, this is so good, I'm done. I'm so tired, I'm just glad this is over. That's what I thought. Monday, because of what's going on with our church and the national church, I was in depositions. It's not over. And I was challenged, and I was subtly attacked and threatened. It's not always what we think it should be. It's not always what we want. Now, you have to understand, I wasn't cowering at the time. In fact, my lawyer, (laughs) I wasn't going to say this, but I'll tell you anyway. My lawyer said to me, Greg, sometimes I've been known to just gently kick people under the table. That did happen. (laughs) But the reality is, is that God does what God wants to do. And when we step out in faith and we follow the Spirit's lead, We don't know what that's going to lead to because we are so focused on following him and serving him and being his instrument in the world. That's what the apostles learned. And the apostles were his witnesses and they suffered far worse than I ever will probably. And look at people throughout countries that are standing up for him and facing persecution far greater than we will ever face the challenges that they face. And most people are smart enough to know that if you follow God's call on your life, it's going to cost you. And that's reality. But the question is, will that prevent you? See, because if you're spirit-filled, you're not drawing on your own strength alone. It's not by your own will. If you're spirit-led, you are compelled. You're compelled. Because you love the Lord, and you love and want to serve other people. And God will use you. However he wants to, he'll use you. I'm going to do something I have never done before. After 29 years of ministry, go figure. I'm going to ask a couple in our church, to conclude my sermon. Sort of. I mean, I'll say something at the end. i got to have the last word. But how the Lord worked in their lives and how he's working now. Bob and Tamara Augustine, many of you know them. Uh, You've probably heard them before talk about past missions that they've been on. Well, the Lord's calling them into something else right now. It's yours. Greg. Uh, I just want to thank everyone for the opportunity to, uh, for us to share our crazy story that we've had over the past month. It's uh, really a story about this church, a story about song, scripture, and prayer. It's a story of filling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leading us and using us. The story actually starts about three years ago when Tamara and I went to Honduras on a short-term mission. 
not knowing what to expect, we went with open hearts and quickly learned the joy of serving others for God's glory. At that time, Kathy Phillips was with us and spoke to Tamara about the work she did with global teams. To say that the uh, mission trip was a life-changing experience cannot be understated, although it was not immediately life-changing. We returned change to a point where, if you recall, last time I was up here, Tamara was actually speechless. That had never happened before. I returned to Honduras the next year with my daughter Molly and the pull of missions only intensified. Priorities for us were changing. The words from Matthew's gospel kept coming back to us. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever wants to lo loses his life for me will find it. Kathy convinced Tamara to send her resume to Global Teams after a visit from Kevin, H Kevin Higgins, uh, the director, international director of Global Teams, a visit about two years ago. At that time, nothing happened. But we began to pray that God would guide us and show us an opportunity to better serve the kingdom. There's a song by the group called Sidewalk Prophets that became a prayer and inspiration to us. Some of the lyrics are, I will trust in you, you've never failed before. I will trust in you. If there's a road I should walk, help me find it. If I need to be still, give me peace for the moment. Whatever your will, help me find it. About six months ago, after fasting and prayer, for direction on what we should be doing, we got one, we got a one-word conclusion, and that was wait. We were waiting, but we felt like we needed to prepare for something, not knowing what it was. This took the form of getting the house ready for downsizing and placing it on the market. Then in April, Kathy asked for volunteers to house the incoming Global Teams members as they had their international conference and horizon training for new missionaries. We felt that the Spirit was telling us to open our home to these missionaries. Kathy included us in the Global Teams gatherings and we truly enjoyed their company. During the Global Team training and conference, Tamara got a message, text message from Kathy saying, I think Global Teams is going to offer you a job. And for the third time, Camera was speechless. We found out that Global Teams had lost one of their administrative persons in Bakersfield and uh, was having a hard time replacing them. When they, just when they thought they had hired a bright young man uh, for the job, his employer made him an offer to stay for more money. He turned down the Global Teams job. So it was back to square one for Pat, the Chief Administrative Officer of Global Teams in Bakersfield. Path through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, remember that Kathy had talked, to, talked about someone Global Teams could use from Hilton Head. Pat couldn't remember the person's name. She contacted Kathy and felt like that she should offer Tamara the job. Know that this is a very small office, and yet through the Holy Spirit, Pat knew she was being led 
to Tamara, having never met her before. Tamara's inspirational song about this time was by Josh Wilson called I Refuse, and it goes something like this. The, word, the world needs God, but it's easier to stand and watch. I could pray a prayer and just move on like nothing's wrong, but I refuse. Because I don't want to say another empty prayer. I don't want to live like I don't care. I refuse to sit around and wait for someone else to do what God has called me to do myself. I could choose not to move, but I refuse. Last month, on May 4th, Kevin Higgins was here preaching a sermon on uh, the Christian life, the Christian progressing from uh, believing God to knowing God and finally trusting God. The next day, Global Teams offered Tamara a job. After that sermon, a lot of prayer and a couple of sleepless nights, there was clearly a leading of the Holy Spirit that we could not say no to this. So we're going to take the next step and trust God to make to make the way. Bakersfield, California. After accepting the position, I think Kevin Higgins wanted to uh, make sure that we were uh, strong in our convictions, pointing out some of the facts about Bakersfield. Number one, the worst air pollution in the country. We responded by saying that we lived in Phoenix and they had bad air pollution and we survived. Number two, Bakersfield has an illness called valley fever. That's a flu-like illness that is from a microbe that lives in the dirt. Well, again, Phoenix had valley fever and in fact, I've had it and I survived. Bakersfield is often referred to as the armpit of California. And I just said, even the body of Christ has an armpit. Bakersfield is hot and dry. Again, not as hot as Phoenix, and we like it. It's a dry heat. During one of the sleepless nights, uh, Tamara, in a moment of doubt, said, said to me, Bob, you better get a job if we're going to make it. That night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I went on the internet and searched for hand therapy positions in Bakersfield and sent an email to a one outpatient group. The next day, they called me to say, in fact, they did have a position available. We went to Bakersfield over the Memorial Day weekend, and about four hours after landing, I had a job. God makes a way. Now, if doubts creep in, we meditate on Paul's words, words in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain. And now we're singing a, a different song, this one by Chris Tomlin, called I Will Follow. The chorus goes like this. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Who you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. I want to thank St. Luke's, our church family, for all the support and inspiration and godly examples that we've uh, had over the years. It's been a great 11 years. We don't, God has uh, opened the door to Bakersfield and global teams, and we're excited to see what 
he has in store for us. But whatever it is, we will trust and obey. For St. Luke's, our advice is just to remember, you don't, it doesn't have to be going to Bakersfield, Honduras, or Tanzania, although if you go, do go one of those places, that would be great. But as Nathan, Nathan said last week, all we have to do is open our front door. So we encourage you to read, read God's word, pray, and open your front door. Thank you.